You may be seated. Uh, if you're age 12 and under, you may head back to Camp Pointway. The teachers back there have a lesson for you and working on things. All right, so last week I took the, the hit for being cold. This week, it's on you. I'm not taking credit for this week being cold. So, uh, Like I said, that was last week. Um, we joked about that a little bit. What has been our main focus, or our new refocus, I should say, um, in the coming last couple of weeks, coming months? Hey, there we go, the gospel. All right. And one of my elders bailed me out. That's good, because I need that help. Forgot, right? And the gospel, and, and, and Ryan, you, you did well. That last song kind of set it up well, and... Um, as we've been interviewing people uh, for worship leader, we've been asking that question. And it's been interesting, some of the responses, and we've had a little bit of fun with them, just to be, let you know. Um, but sometimes, even when you ask believers, what is the gospel, they stumble a little bit. They, they, they don't know how to put it always into words. And so it's good practice, and um, certainly keeping it concise is helpful, especially if you're sharing with someone. And again, there are many different ways to do it. I'm not so much on the, you're going to do it the, the Romans road or, you know, the, the three ropes. I've done all those things or illustrations and, and those all can be effective. But the main tenets to the gospel is that we are sinners. We needed a savior, which Jesus Christ provided. He died on the cross and rose again. It's amazing to me how many believers forget that part. And, and to be honest, that's the best part in many ways as a believer because that's our hope. That gives us that encouragement, right? If Jesus just died on the cross and that was the end of it, he'd just be a martyr. And again, it, it wouldn't help us. Uh, believing in the, res the resurrection, it's vital. It's key. I mean, that's Easter. That's what we really celebrate on Easter is the resurrection. And that's vitally important. That's encouragement, especially in a world that struggles, that is wandering around looking for something to fulfill their lives, and there's no hope. And so we can give them that hope with the gospel. So I want to encourage you with that. Um, I do appreciate someone this week actually messaged me and said they got an opportunity. And I had told this person, I said, hey, I'm praying for you today that you get an opportunity. And it was by about one o'clock, this young lady got back to me and said, hey, guess what? God answered your prayer. At Costco, I got an opportunity. And she says, I couldn't get away from it. And so praise God. I love it when those things happen. So if you get a chance this week and you share, not that you have to tell me, but man, I would really be encouraged by that. And so I can be praying for you. And again, those opportunities we don't want to miss. That being said, we're going to jump into the book of Amos. I was talking to a pastor this week, and he said, hey, what are you preaching on? And I said, the book of Amos. And he goes, huh, why in the world, Pastor Chai, did you pick the book of Amos? And I quickly responded back, I'm not sure that I did, because it's not a book I would have picked, just to be honest. I'm just being blatantly honest. It's a tough book. In fact, this pastor had been pastored over 20 years. He's retired from pastoring. He's doing something else now. And he says, I'm not sure that I've ever preached the book of Amos. I've taught it, but I'm not sure that I've ever preached it. And as he was looking through, he says, ooh, that's a tough one. I said, but that's, I haven't been able to get away from it. I'm, and believe me, I looked and I wrestled and I tried to get out of it. But we're in the book of Amos. 
And one of the reasons it's tough is because it's, as with all the prophets, it's a judgment that's coming. It's a declaring, guess what? There's sin, and it needs to be dealt with. You need to repent. You need to turn around. It's not an easy message, right? I don't know of anyone, at least in my experience, and maybe you have a different one, but when I go to tell someone that they're wrong, it usually doesn't go well. It doesn't work in my marriage. It doesn't work with the kids. Even the dog, when I tell the dog's wrong, it doesn't really like it. I mean, I just not found that to be true, that it is so hard to tell people that and, and wait for a response. In fact, I had some folks that I've loved and known for years. I know when I tell them, I have to kind of do the wait a minute because I'm going to get blasted. It's going to come at me. They're going to respond negatively. And I got to wait for that because their first response is not the best response. And then after they calm down, their blood pressure goes down, their voice goes down, we can talk about it. But it's hard giving tough news. And Amos has that responsibility. And again, he starts off, as we did last week, we talked about in chapter 1, he is bringing the bad news that God is going to judge the nations around Judah and Israel. And I say Judah and Israel because at this point, the nation has been divided. And again, most historians, and when you look back at it, it wasn't God's plan. It happened, but it wasn't God's plan. And so some of the tribes went north, some of them stayed in the south, they drew kind of a line in the sand and said, hey, we're going to be the northern kingdom, you be the southern kingdom. Um, two and ten is how it actually even, it wasn't even even, it wasn't a great line that was drawn. But they divided everything. And again, the nation of Israel was meant to be a nation united. And they were divided, and so much so that they started to divide even their worship, right? The, the kings to the north didn't want the, the people to travel all the way back down to Jerusalem to the south. So they said, you know what? Hey, we'll set up, for your convenience, we'll set up a temple. And then they said, well, there's one here to the eastern side in Bethel. Well, hey, you know, we'll put another one over here in Dan, and we'll have two temples, right? And so they had two in the north and one in the south. And again, it wasn't part of God's plan. But last week, we looked at the judgments of the nations around them, right? In the outside of Judah. Today we're going to learn that there was sin in those nations as well. And again, Amos sets these up and he, he has that familiar phrase, and you'll hear it again today, three sins, yet four. Right? And that tells us a lot, right? Three sins, of, you know, God's given them a chance. Aren't we thankful that God doesn't always correct us on the spot and just hits us, that he gives us grace, he gives us time to repent, he gives us time to look back and say, you know what? I'm wrong. Please forgive me and go back. But there becomes a point, and God in history has shown that, a point when you've crossed that line, there's no more grace, there's no more mercy, it's time for judgment. And it's easy in some ways to watch the other nations, right? It's easy to watch someone else getting punished or someone else that's wrong. We can look and say, and we have to caution ourselves and say, ah, oh, they got caught right? Look at them over there, right? At least that's me. I, maybe you folks are better at that. No, no, right? But sometimes we have to look at ourselves, and that's what today is. Today's going to be a little bit of looking within the nation of Judah and especially Israel. And so last week's title message was, God is not okay with sin. 
title of today's message, not much changed, but God is not okay with our sin. And sometimes we have to look internally as well. But as we start chapter 2, we see there's one more nation that he's going to judge. And, and Moab is close. Moab is getting closer, getting closer to the center. But Moab is one of those nations that's outside. And so verse 1 says, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Because he burned as if to, as if to lime the bones of Edom's king. I will send fire upon Moab that will consume the fortress of Karath. Moab will go down in great turmoil. Turmoil. There we go. I knew I could say that word. Amid war cries and the blast of the trumpet. I will destroy her ruler and kill all her officials with him, says the Lord. And again, the, the, the sin here, Amos lays it out very nicely. He lays out the sin of burning the bones. All right, side note here, because I get asked this question a lot, especially when I used to work for hospice. Is cremation a sin? No, no it's not. I don't believe that it is, um, no more than being buried. Again, it's just part of that. It's a cultural thing. But here it goes way beyond that. Here they put in the law, cultural, the king's bones. What it's really talking about is they're being disrespectful. Right? It's a cultural thing. It's, they're, they're dishonoring this king. They're not even recognizing. Even among enemies, even among warring, there is some compassion, usually some mercy upon those that are in charge, those that are leaders. Right? They, they take that into account, or at least they should be. But here we see Moab doesn't do that. They go beyond. They go way beyond. Again, they're not believers. They're not part of Israel. They're not following the God that we're following. But they go beyond what's even acceptable morally. And we see here, God's not okay with that. God's not saying that that's all right. They've gone way beyond their bounds. And so God brings again that, that fire. And we said that fire represents that judgment. We see that often. It's a, a way of clearing the deck starting over again. And so he does. He brings upon judgment on them, and they, they are later on destroyed. I think I mentioned this last week, but I remind you that quite often the prophets, they would prophesy, and something would happen immediately, and then quite often something would happen down the road. And it may be hundreds or even thousands of years. Um, we know um, we're looking for, for prophecies still yet today. And we're over 2,000 years plus down the road, and we're still waiting for some of it. God's not bound by time. He's not worried about it. But prophet, in order to be a real prophet, had to have something that happened relatively quick. But all these things happened, as we've been mentioning, through all these oracles at a later time. And God uses various means of doing that. So that's the last one of the ones of the nations that are judged outside now he's going to bring it a little bit closer to home, right? In fact, he's going to go to Judah. Again, that's where Judah, Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, that's where God had established Israel. His people, his nation, that was the, the, the central. But, as with many of us, even personally, there was sin in the, there was sin in the camp. It says, for three sins of Judah, even for four, 
I will not turn back my wrath. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees. Because they have been led astray by false gods and the gods of their ancestors followed. I will send fire upon Judah that will consume the fortress of Jerusalem. Again, he, he mentions a couple sins here, and by no means with a nation is there only a couple sins, but these are the ones that have raised to the level that God's had enough. And so you want to keep that in mind. Again, if it was only one sin that we had to wrestle with, it would be a lot easier in our own personal lives, right? But quite often, even when we get past one sin, there's usually another one waiting around the corner or another temptation, or it manifests itself in another way. But the main sin here that he's talking about is the rejection of God, right? This is Jerusalem. This is the temple. This was where they were supposed to go and sacrifice. That's the sacrificial system. This is before Jesus to do this. And it was part of their feast, part of their festivals. They were to do this on a regular basis. And of course, once a year, they would go into the Holy of Holies. So they, this was a big part of what they did, and especially right there in Jerusalem. Yet, they got away from that. They stopped doing that. They, they rejected. In fact, they did the thing that God really probably hates almost as much as anything is they started worshiping other gods. They started getting led astray. Now, it may have been on the outskirts, but eventually it reached to the capital where there were idols in there. And again, before you go off too hard and judge too harshly, as we tend to do on the Old Testament, you know, idols is one of those things. I could do a whole message on idols because we all have things that we can struggle with idols. You know, and I'm going to venture here, even on a day like Valentine's, believe it or not, you can set up your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend as an idol, right? Once in a while, if I want to tease PJ, but I say, hey, you're, you're number two. And she's like, what? What do you mean I'm number two? I'm supposed to be number one. No, she's number two, right? And then, because God, our relationship with God is to be number one. It's a struggle. She lets me know that I'm number two as well, and that's okay. But as long as I'm not three or four, I'm usually doing pretty good. If I, if I get below the dog, then I'm, I'm in trouble. But really, seriously, we can make anything an idol. Can we Sports team, finances, we're pretty good. We can, we can put anything above God. Our comforts, right? It's not hard to fill in that blank. So, yes, Judah has done that, but it's not that hard or that much of a stretch for us to do the same thing. So, and guess what? God's not okay with our sin that way. He wants to be number one. He demands to be number one. And if he's not, then there's judgment. He'll only let us go so far. I've found that to be true many times. When I start putting too much emphasis on something, God has a way of removing that for me. Finances is a great example of that. Just about the time I start building up a good savings account or thinking that I've got everything all set, the truck breaks down or the washing machine goes. Or It's funny how those things happen. But it's also a reminder that, hey, it's not mine. Sorry, didn't you mean to get off on the finances? That was a bonus one. You can just take that point out. That's just one of the, the many idols that we have. But he also says they, they've rejected the law. And again, that was part of the law, but and that's why I said there was probably more sins here because he talks about rejecting the law. Yes, idol worship was a problem, but then there was also the other laws and the, the laws of being kind, 
how to treat your brothers, right? And I, I venture to say that some of the sins that were in these other nations had crept into Judah as well. Uh, it's hard when sin's all around you not to partake or not to get involved or not to get wrapped up into it. It's the reason why most pastors are very skeptical about going into the bar, right? Because we don't want to be in the bar because if we sit there long enough, yes, we can drink soda or we can just sit there, but if you sit there long enough, there'll be the temptation, and again, not only just to drink, but to drink too much. And so for most of us, it's much better just to stay away from it altogether, not even get close to it. I've heard that argument many times, and so again, another bonus point for that one. I wasn't really, that wasn't in my notes either. I'm wandering a little bit this morning, but Again, Judah's not obeying the laws. We don't know all of the ones that they weren't keeping, but we know that there were many. And again, with false gods, they wouldn't have to. All right, now the big, the big one comes out. The judgment on Israel. Now you could say, well, Israel, you know, they, they've got 10 tribes, so maybe they, they got a bigger group of people. So yeah, of course they would have more. But Israel is still part of God's chosen people. In fact, we're going to see seven sins listed here, and it's going to be a little bit long. I'm going to break it up just to help us, but God's not going to be okay with their sin either. And this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust on the ground. They deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Let's stop there. Like I said, there's, there's more to come, but at least this gets us a, a little bit to the part of why God's going to judge them and the wrath. And God does judge them. We know that about Israel's history. That's where the Assyrians come in. The Assyrians end up coming in and wiping them out. And, and those tribes are almost decimated. The land is certainly taken. It's, it's gone. There's no, there's no more boundaries. There's no more left. The, the temples are gone. God judges them very severely in the north. And he does it fairly quickly after these proclamations here. But look at some of the things that are going on, right? Sell the righteous for silver the needy for a pair of sandals, right? You know, boil that down to one word, it's favoritism, right? At the core, it's favoritism. They're favoring those that, right? And, and most likely, you, you favor those that you can get something from, right? But the poor, the poor can't give you nothing, right? So, so you tend to treat people differently, right? We see that example in the New Testament. Jesus talks about that, if, if, right? If a rich man comes in, do you give them the seat of honor? In fact, you kick out someone that's poor. Right? It's, not, it's not what Jesus teaches. It's just the opposite. But that's what they were doing here. They were having a, a, a caste system. And, and depending on your wealth, depending on where you position, if you had some political position, you got treated one way. And if you didn't, you got treated another. And so God judges that and how we interact with people. Joe, your verse worked out well, right? Yeah, if we're not loving people, not just those that love us, but loving others, even those that are against us, even those that we don't like, 
they weren't doing that. And again, the God doesn't judge us, judges us for how we treat people. Again, trample the poor is the same thing. It says they even go so far as to deny justice to the oppressed. Right? We are to care about those in our midst. And if they're not being treated fairly, we are to be a champion for them. Can we do that in all situations? No, but we need to be sympathetic. We need to be compassionate. Right? Again, they were, it says, denied justice. They weren't even getting a fair trial. They were guilty before they even had a chance to prove their innocence. Next verse is interesting in a way. It says, father and son use the same girl. Most believe that that's talking about um, prostitutes using um, things outside of marriage. Some even go so far as to say that it may be incest. Again, sexual sins. Either way, God's against that. God's not for that. God will judge that and judge it harshly. That's not part of what God had established in his law. And so there's a judgment from God on that. It's not okay. He's not okay with that at all. <clears throat> and again, it's, it's degrading. It's obviously diminishing whoever this girl is that they're talking about here. But in general, the, the sexual sin that's being... We talked a little bit about the other nations last week, right? About human trafficking, sex trafficking, how God ruled on that. Then he goes, verse 8, he goes a little bit more, and he says, they lie down beside every altar, right? It's a sign of disrespect, right? Again, that goes back to the idolatry. They're not worshiping the God. They're not talking about the, the altar in Jerusalem anymore. Israel's not there, right? They're in the north. They're lying down. They're, they, they're going to, they might go to the temple and do a sacrifice, but then they're going to go next door to the other temple where there's prostitution going on, the false gods. Um, quite often, they would go to multiple places of worship. And eventually, they would get away from the one true God. They got away from what they were supposed to do in the law, what Leviticus had told them, what had been laid down by God. And it talks about in the house of their God, they drank wine taken as fine. So they would drink to excess, drunkenness. It was a party. Some of you may remember, I think we studied something about that, didn't we? Through the summer, into the fall. What was that book in the Bible? We, it, wasn't, it wasn't Amos. What was that? Come on, no one remembers what we pre... I mean, come on, I was in there for months. Huh? Corinthians? All right, whew, all right. I'm glad someone's awake. I mean, someone remembers, yeah. But wasn't that one of the problems there? How does that happen? Thousands of years later, and they, have the, they know what happens, yet it happens on later on. Why? Because at the core, our human nature, we can go back to those things. So again, so the warning back in Amos, the warning in Corinthians, we have no excuse today, but guess what? It can still happen today. I won't go all the way through Corinthians because we did a lot of that through this past year. All right, verse 9. It's going to change gears here a little bit. Again, because there's a lot of things wrong with Israel, and so it changes a little bit here in verse 9. It says, I destroyed the Amorite before them, though he was tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and I led you 40 years in the desert. 
to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up the prophets from among you, your sons, and Nazarites from among your young men. Is it not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? I'm going to stop there because 12 is a transition verse. But he stops in the middle of all these sins and the things that are going on, and he says, hey, remember the land that you're on, right? The Amorites were to the north. And, and they were a tough foe. We have to go back and read through Exodus and some of those earlier chapters in their history, but it's a reminder of, hey, I took care of your enemies. And in this proclamation, Amos has been saying, God's going to judge those nations around you. And God's saying, hey, remember, I did this before. In fact, not only did I take care of your enemies, but I brought you out of Egypt. Bells should have gone off, right? That's a significant point in history for the Jews. It's a hearkening back to, hey, don't forget what I promised you, right? Again, they came out of Egypt, and then they wandered around the desert for a long time. But eventually, they did make it to the promised land. In fact, that's where they were. Yet, they're not behaving as God's chosen people. And so God's not all right with that. And he says, I've raised up prophets, right? Amos is not the only one that does this, by the way. There's some contemporaries of that day as well. There's some other prophets that are, are proclaiming the same thing, both in the north and the south, saying, hey, turn back. So God not only gave them one prophet, but he gave them multiple prophets to, to help them. But a prophet in that day was not listened to. We know from the end of the story, Right? The masses didn't turn back, especially the leaders didn't turn back. He even talks out here a little bit about the Nazarites, right? About raising young men. Again, those were people that were to keep themselves pure. It's part of an oath, part of a commitment to God. And it says, even they were led away. They got into trouble. They got beyond what God had commanded them. Verse 12, like it says, a transition verse, and it talks a little bit more about it. It says, but you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Remember what I said about no one likes to hear bad news? Amos was not getting a, a warm welcome. He wasn't getting a very good response. He wasn't being received. In fact, none of the prophets were. They, they didn't want to hear it at that point. Again, as a king or as a ruler, they would surround themselves with people, yes men, people that would tell them only what they wanted to hear, people that would agree with them. And that sounds good. You think, well, there's no conflict. But that can be very dangerous right? for any leader. That's a great leadership principle. If you just surround yourself with people who are like-minded and always agree with you, there's no help in that. There's no input. There's no balance. It can become one-sided. And in this case, they didn't surround themselves with people that would tell them the truth. That's what prophets did. They spoke the truth of God. I didn't mention this before, but part of Amos' name is load-bearer. He's got a heavy message. It's a heavy message to give to these folks. And now he's giving that to the very folks that he's a part of. So he has to take part of this ownership. He's saying, hey, this is what's going on, and guess what? We're going to see this judgment. God's now given him a glimpse of the future. How would you like to carry that load? Knowing what's going to happen 
and not seeing a response. That would be a pretty heavy load to carry, wouldn't it? That's what some of these prophets had to go through. All right. As we go on here, now the punishment part comes in, right? Because they're not listening. They're not responding. They're not changing. Now we get the punishment. Verse 13. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when the load with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength. The warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away. And the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. Right? There's no escape. Our men's group, Band of Brothers, right? We've been doing the book of Jonah, right? Jonah thought he could run away, right? He, he ran total opposite direction, went down, purchased a ticket on the ship, and headed out to see on the opposite direction. Have you been with us men? We, we, you know that story, right? Storm comes up. God doesn't leave him there. Despite all the encouragement from the sailors and all that, they end up throwing him overboard, and he winds up in a fish. I've waited till now to tell a fish story, all right? I, I wait, that's pretty good for me. No ice involved, but there's a fish story there. Right? But could Jonah get away from God? Do you know of anyone that's gotten away from God? No. Right? It's an impossible mission. But when we're in sin, we think we can. Right? We don't think God sees it. We don't think that God knows about it. We can kind of just do it privately, quietly. He's not going to see it, right? Same problem then, same problem we have now, right? And, and, and here in Scripture it says, you're not going to get away with it. I'm going to judge you. There's not going to be a place to go. Now, he may have done this for a couple of reasons. He may have done it because maybe they were thinking, well, like when Egypt was squeezing us, we were able to escape. Or from our enemies, you've let us get away. Because there is an enemy that's coming. Remember I told you, the Israel is going to become under attack real soon here by the Assyrians. A little side note about the Assyrians. They were the terrorists long before they were terrorists. They were cruel they were merciless. They, they did crucifixion long before the Romans. The Romans took notes from them. They were vicious. You know, they, they, they were not very kind to their enemy at all. Now, they would save a few of the women, and they would intermarry, and that's where we actually get the Samaritans later on down the road. But not many. They were pretty harsh. Um, and God's not going to let them win. Israel is not going to stand against the Assyrians. Right? Again, he takes it very seriously. And so we have this, the swift do not escape, the warrior will not save his life, right? It's not going to be a great hero that rises up and gets them out of that. It's not going to be, not during the time. Israel, just, he would provide something, not during this time. Again, we know from history, Israel goes first, Judah actually goes much later. Judah ends up getting taken by the Babylonians some years down the road. I'll give you a little bit of church history here. I mean, not church history, Bible history, Israel history. Church history doesn't come to later on, but Bible history. So hopefully you can go back and look at it, because it's important where you place Amos in that in history. But this is the one that's coming. Israel's going to be first to go. That northern nation's going to be destroyed. 
And so the simple message this morning is, what do we do with this? Right? We know this all happened. We see that it happened. But what do we do with that? Now, maybe you're in that progression somewhere. And I say that progression of three sins, maybe four. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you've just had held on to for a long time and you keep repeating, repeating, and repeating. Maybe you're on that cusp and maybe this morning you need to really lay that down. Or maybe you're drifting a bit. Maybe you're losing your focus. Right? Maybe you've allowed some idols to come in. Maybe you've allowed some things to happen in your life that you're they're getting in the way of your relationship with God. Ask for forgiveness, right? Maybe this morning's a good time to ask for forgiveness, repent, and go back to that. Or maybe you're in a good spot right now. Maybe you're in that spot where things are going pretty good, your relationship's good, and, and you're on the right path, and you're doing some things. But maybe you're tempted to look around at others. At the very least, if you're in a good spot, then be sharing that with others. Give them the hope because there are folks around us that are in that. They're at that three sins for. God is bringing judgment upon them. And part of that judgment is consequences or there's lots of things that could be going on with that. But you need to be that encouragement to them. I would apologize for a heavy message this morning, but you know what? Once in a while, we just got to have those. We need to take a look at ourselves and we need to look internally and say, God's not okay with that. But I do leave you with this hope. If you ask for forgiveness, God is faithful to forgive. And he does it instantaneously. So, bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we are, <clears throat> we are thankful that you don't leave us in that place, Lord, and that you provided a way for our salvation, Lord, but you provided also a way for us to escape sin. And Lord, that we don't have to stay there, that we don't have to face your harsh judgment, Lord. Lord, help us to be quick to repent. Lord, may we intercede for those who are not there yet, Lord, that we pray for them, pray for our nation, pray for those nations around us, Lord. But Lord, just continue to do that work in our own lives, continue to help us to grow to mature, to become more and more like you each and every day. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we close with the song. Cast my heart, mind to Calvary.